What may I get for you this evening? I think I'll... I'll order for us. We will split the absolute perfection, um, but instead of anxiety, could I get a flawless side of raised expectations, please? Of course. And how would you like your circumstances? Micromanaged? Micromanaged. Oh, and please tell the chef that no matter how Willie prepares it, I'll still be dissatisfied. Will do. Oh, and can we get some 38% shinier silverware? Yes, sir. What a close to, but not quite perfect evening. I'm sure none of you know anyone like that. That was so foreign to you, you can't even relate. Uh, we are so glad you're here with us this morning. If you have a Bible, open up to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. And in just a moment, we'll be getting to our text. And uh, as I said already, we're so excited that you're with us this morning. Uh, we are continuing our series entitled, I Choose. I Choose, the idea of making good decisions and choosing one thing over another, not necessarily right or wrong, but more wise, unwise decision-making. And uh, as we're continuing through here, uh, I know many of us every day uh, battle with life choices, sometimes little, sometimes big. Sometimes the choices we make consist of what to wear, where to eat. I know we've never had that conversation in the vehicle, right? I've told Sandra many a time that if I say, hey, where do you want to go? And we're driving down 53, coming through Emily City, and she'll say, I don't know. I've just kept driving, and I've got all the way down to Shopco and uh, turned around and said, okay, you saw what's in town. What do you want? I don't know. And I'll just drive back to Rite Aid, turn around. What do you want? I don't know. And I'll drive back to Shopco. Um, my job, as many of you have jobs that require you to make a lot of decisions all the time, when it comes to where to eat, unless it's Chinese food, I really don't have a preference. So... Um, I just really don't care most of the time. I'd rather just not make the decision. But we've all had those conversations, right? We've all tried to decide those kind of things. And while those things can be silly and even minute in the course of life, uh, we also deal with making much more important decisions every single day. And we want you to understand, and we want to understand together, that there may be a lot more on the line when we say the words, I choose. When you choose, you're making a huge decision one way or the other. And sometimes it's small things, but sometimes it could be very large decisions. Two weeks ago, we talked about choosing purpose over popularity. Purpose over popularity. This week, we'll be talking about choosing surrender over control. Can I tell you that God is amazing, as Kathy has already stated to us, the worship that we've experienced. But God is also a God of perfect timing. Amen? And... Uh, as she was sharing that this morning, I leaned over to Sandra and I said, do you remember the, I kind of reminded her of the title of today's message, Surrender Over Control. I just, it's amazing how God works. We were supposed to preach this message last week. This was not going to be the message this week. And here, Kathy and Mike went through their experience and God allowed her to share what she shared right in line with what we're going to be talking about this morning. And so if you're sitting there thinking, like, this is just another Sunday, 
that you're just feel, filling a seat on Sunday morning, that it's just coincidence that you happen to be battling with that, and she shared this, and now we're sharing that. It is not coincidence. It is sovereignty of God. You were supposed to be here today, and his message for you is clear. And so do not sell yourself shorts by thinking that it's just another Sunday. But go into this message saying, God, I need to hear from you. And I promise you, if you come here to hear from me, you will be sorely misled, mistaken, and disappointed. But if you came here to hear from the Lord and allow his spirit to work through you in the teaching and preaching of his word, you will leave filled. I've always said it. When somebody leaves a message saying, I didn't get a lot out of that, that has very little to do with me and a whole lot more to do with you. And I can tell you that because that's the challenge that God gives me every time I open his word and I read a passage and I go, oh, I don't really get a lot out of this. And his Holy Spirit just lovingly says, well, maybe it's a hearing problem, not a speaking problem. So I want to encourage you, open your ears this morning to what the Lord has for you. Because to be honest with you, we all battle with the desire to control. We all battle this desire. Let's just be honest for a moment. I know you guys love when I do this. How many of you raise your hand and say, I'm a control freak. I like to be in control. Raise your hand. Be honest. No, don't put it up. Don't put it up. Put it down. Put it up and keep it there. You want control. You want attention. Keep your hand up for a little bit. You want everyone to look to you? Keep it up. Okay. Oh, okay. Now, you can put your hands down. You can put your hands down. If you either did, because someone actually did this, or you were feeling led to raise the hand of the person next to you. You are the definition of a control freak. Okay? Now, you may have said, well, I didn't raise the person's hand, but you thought it. And now we're at the root of the problem. We all battle with this, don't we? I mean, we can all see examples in our life where we want control. We want it our way, the right way, the first time. I used to work with a guy that always said there's two options. There's the wrong way and there's my way. And usually what I didn't like about that was, guess what? Usually his way was the right way. And doesn't that just grind you? Like when somebody's a control freak and you know you don't want to give into it, you don't want to go their way, but you know it's the right way, and you still are just like, Argh. Because you know what happens to a control freak every time they're right? It just affirms their control. Look at, see, I told you. Control freaks love using the phrase, I told you so. That's great. Because that means, well, if you would have listened to me. That's parenting tips, right? I mean, you ever tell your kid when they get injured, well, if you would have listened to me and not done this, you'd be fine. Okay? Sometimes we try to control, right? And we try to do this all the time. How the forks go in the dishwasher, right? The ones that just laughed are like, we've had that conversation as a couple. I know this wouldn't hit anybody here, but how about the towels in the linen closet? How do we fold the towels? Because apparently there's a right way to fold the towels and a wrong way. And you're thinking, Sandra, really? Yes, absolutely. How about the toilet paper roll? I'm not even going to camp there. Someone might get saved if I preach too long on that one. It's just going to be crazy. Revival will break out if I start preaching on that. We all know there's only one way to put the toilet paper roll on the roll. Over. Right? Not this behind stuff. What's, where do you live? Like a different country? It's over. 
Okay, so you're looking, you pull it off. I mean, that's not rocket science. Any of you that are thinking behind, come to the altar. We have grace for you. God will save you. <laughs> you might be thinking, man, is Santa, listen, in our relationship, I can admit 100%, I'm the control freak. I'm the towel guy. I'm nuts. If I open the pantry or the linen closet, we don't put towels in our pantry. We did for a while, but it didn't work out well. <laughs> Ran out of space for the, for the cereal. It just didn't work well. If I open the linen closet and I see the towels, now some of you, you fold them over and kind of make them like this and like that, right? Okay, so they're nice, same size, okay? How do they face, though? See, some of you are like, oh, we just fold that way. No, no, it's got to be turned so that the nice side is facing, not the layered side where you see the folds. No, I'm not kidding you. I've taken towels, folded, clean towels I didn't need out of the linen closet, turned them around and put them back. I have a sickness, guys. I have a disease. <laughs> Every Tuesday night, guess where I am? I'm right out here with our recovery gathering, and I'm like, guys, I need you. Need you. Support and encouragement. We can all joke about this, and we can all laugh about this, but in all honesty, in the silly things, okay, it's not the end of the world if I freak out about the towels. But if we're really being honest, when we battle with control, and those of you that are control freaks like me, and I'm, I'm right there with you. We can laugh about it and you can joke about it. And you can even laugh at yourself a little bit. Like, oh my goodness, why was I even worried about that? But I can tell you that it also leads to a deeper spiritual problem. Because if control goes unchecked, it turns into pride and arrogance and disbelief of God and his word. And we start living our own ways. Because ultimately, in reality, I want to control because I know what's best. Ultimately, I want to be like God. I want to be in control. And when we fight for control, we're actually telling everyone else around us, I know what's best. And in our relationship with Christ, as a follower of Christ, what we're really saying is, I know what is best for me. I know how to meet my needs better than you do. Because ultimately, I want to be like God. There was this other guy in history who desired to be like God, who wanted control. And the outcome is disastrous. Satan, an angel of God's creation, looked upon the throne of God and said, I will sit there one day. I will sit on that throne. Pride, and arrogance, and control, unchecked, unsubmitted to the Father, led to him being casted out of heaven. And you know what his desire has been ever since he was casted down? Is to get that control back. To have control. Control over you. Control over this world. Control over God. And he'll never get it. He'll never have control over God. But he's fighting to get control over you. Because if he can't get control over God and his kingdom, he'll take control of you and be content to just mess your life up. You and your sin, your sin controlled you. The biggest misconception in the world today is that you don't want to get saved and become a Christian because then you've got to live under all these rules and you've got to give up all your freedom. Man, no, 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 we are free in Christ because before Christ, I was controlled by sin. I was controlled by a broken nature. I was controlled by twisted and evil thoughts and desires, self-serving thoughts and wants. And then in Christ, I'm set free from that. So many of us, we, 
we kind of fall back into that trap of thinking like the old man thinks. And we fight for control. In reality, I want to control because I know what's best. I want to be like God. You have a handout in your bulletin. And uh, I hope that it's a help to you. Fill that out if you would like. Make some notes on there. Draw some pictures. Play tic-tac-toe. Whatever. Uh, just, I pray that it will be some way for you to connect. I want to go to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And I want to read this together. And I want to read it as though we've never read it before. I want to read this as though it's brand new to us. And in your, in your mind, I want you, in your heart, I want you to say, man, do I really believe this verse, this passage? Because this is one of the most quoted verses. But I believe it's one of the hardest and misapplied verses. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. But in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father. Lord, as we walk through this topic of control and surrender, I pray that you'd give us your wisdom. I pray that you would lead us and guide us and show us what you'd have for us. Father, I pray that we would end this service today understanding maybe just a little bit better how we can surrender to you. What does it mean to trust in you with all our heart? Father, I pray that we would have compassion and patience for those in our lives that are battling with this topic. Lord, those that genuinely fight their controlling nature. I pray that we'd come alongside them and encourage them and, and love on them. But Father, I pray that we would also realize that everyone in this room, myself included, we all battle with control to some degree with you. Lord, we've all prayed those prayers or had those thoughts in our relationship with Christ when you didn't do what we wanted you to do. And our prayer time turned more into counseling you on the best thing than submitting to you and just allowing you to be God in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would understand one key truth that was already saying in Sandra's song this morning. That you are God, and I am not. Your will trumps my will every time. Because at the end of my life, the goal of my life is not to have lived the will that I predetermined. But to honor and glorify you in all things that you have for me. And so I pray that we would get in on the blessings, that we would enjoy the, the journey of walking with you and experiencing your grace in our lives. Father, your will be done. We're not God and we're okay admitting that. Our lives are unmanageable in our own esteems. Lord, I can barely control very small parts of my life, let alone my whole life, and yet we feel as though we can control all of it and others. And Father, I pray you'd set us free from this trap of the enemy and of our flesh to surrender to you in all these things, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It says here, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. The word acknowledge here in the text literally means to know. Now, it doesn't just mean to know, like, I mean, I know this or I know that. I know it's sunny outside. It's not just knowledge of something. It actually is a form of an intimate knowledge 
to know someone or something so intimately in deep detail that I know it better than anything else. The Bible actually uses the same idea of knowing in reference to Adam and Eve when Adam knew Eve, that intimate relationship that they had, that intimate bond. They knew one another more than anyone or anything else. And the author of Proverbs says you should know him this way. You need to know him this intimately. Because see, verse 5 is the most difficult thing to do, is it not? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. Man, that's a tough one for me. And this is where we have to stop the church answers and start thinking real practical stuff. Because in church, it's easy to say, no, no, I trust God in all things. I know he has the best for me. But it's Monday through Saturday that we've got to step back and say, okay, now I need to apply this to my life. It's not just head knowledge. I need to know it so intimately that it just is part of my everyday life. Where I know God so good. I know his character so well that when he goes outside of my understanding, which is often, amen, you ever have God do something outside your understanding, look back on it years later and go, oh, if I only knew what I knew then, what I knew now. But see, maybe what Sandra's song talks about is that he thinks thoughts that we can't even imagine to think. He is working out things. Just think about this for a moment. A prayer request that you pray for the Lord tomorrow he started working on months or even years ago. Think about that for a moment. He's already orchestrating things together for your good and his glory. And what's the good that he works together for all those that believe in him? It's not necessarily the raise. It's not necessarily this blessing or that positive thing. It may be that the only good that comes from it, and it's good enough, is that you end up looking more like Jesus Christ than you did the day before it happened. That's the good in Romans chapter 8. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purposes. Why? That we could be the first fruits, the firstborn among many brethren, that we will represent Christ See, that's the good that comes out of every situation we find ourselves in. But how do we live that out? I mean, how do we really believe that? Because listen, sometimes, often, life is hard. We've all gone through struggles and trials and pains and hurts that we just can't process, we don't understand. And so we have to step outside of our understanding and say, God, I need your grace right now because I don't get it. And do yourself the greatest favor you could do. Step back and acknowledge to God, God, I don't get this. Stop just telling God, okay, God, I got it. Okay, God, I got it. Because you're trying to play God and you're not qualified. You're applying for a job you're never going to get because you're not even close to qualified for it. And rather say, God, I, I think I know your will in this. I think I understand what you're doing here. But if I miss this, if I'm wrong, man, God, would you show me this? I always go back to Joseph and Mary. And I reference this often because it's one of the most popular stories we can reference. And you understand this. Joseph didn't plan what God had done. I don't think Joseph planned for his engaged fiance to get pregnant with the Son of God in a culture where if that happens, she could be killed for violating the law of Moses. 
In an instant, Joseph's entire life is turned upside down. And we read it as though he was cool with it. How would you be about that? Talk about going outside your understanding. Your fiancé comes in and says, hey, listen, I got two things to tell you. I'm pregnant, and it's the Son of God. You'd say, I got two things to tell you. I called some people, and they're coming to pick you up. (laughs) Don't fight them. Just put the little white jacket on, get in the van, and you'll be fine. Sometimes, most times, God will go outside the realm of your understanding. And why does he do that? Because he wants us to trust him a little more and a little more and a little more. And it's when he goes outside of our understanding that we have to trust. When he functions in the know of what we understand, we trust him, but not nearly like we do when he goes outside of what we understand. And we have to say, man, God, I don't get this. And that's why the Bible talks over and over again about being a faithful follower of Christ, putting faith out there, believing God can do what God can do. But let's be real. This is hard for us control freaks, isn't it? It's hard for me. It's hard for me. It's a daily thing I have to think through here. We trust him because we know him. He will make our paths straight, not us making our paths straight. Do you see that there? See, this is the worst thing for a control freak, how verse 6 ends. And when we know him this way, he shall direct our paths. Or he, other translations say it this way, he will make our paths straight. Control freaks want to make their own paths straight. We want to fix it. We want to take control of it. And the Proverbs here is saying, no, 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 no. And when you know him this way, he will make your path straight. And then you can walk in those paths and just enjoy the presence of your Savior. We must realize that the more we try to control, the more we will be afraid of losing that control. So we control more, which leads to more fear of losing control, which leads to more controlling, which leads to more fear. And we're in this cycle of controlling, I'm going to lose control. i got to control more. I'm losing control. i got to fix this. I can't fix this. i got to control more. And you wonder why people are stressed. Do you know that majority of people that think they're depressed, it's, studies have found that either half to around 70% of people that have thought they were depressed were actually just battling stress. But it just controls us. It consumes us. And it's funny. The more we try to control, we realize we're not in control. And that scares the mess out of us, right? So we try to control more, and we're not in control. And we get into these cycles of living. I want to look at an example in the Old Testament of control gone bad. Control gone bad. An example in the Old Testament. You see, when we take control, we rarely get it right. We read of a moment in the life of Abraham and Sarah where control went crazy, went horribly wrong. It's not the only example from their life, but maybe the biggest. Sarah and Abraham knew God promised them a son. They knew it. But since what they knew didn't match what they were seeing or understood, they decided it would be better to take control. Go over to Genesis chapter 16. Very familiar story. If you're familiar with, if you grew up in church or you're familiar with the, the Genesis accounts of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and all these things, you've read this before. But I want you to see it in the aspect of control gone bad. When what you know God has promised you isn't necessarily matching what you're seeing, and how do you handle that? Well, Abraham and Sarah decided to take control 
and it went horribly wrong. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. And Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Now, let's take a break here before we read the next couple of verses. This is culturally acceptable. So let me stop here for a moment. People read this and go, well, why would God allow this? That's not God's plan. It's God's plan is one husband and one wife for life. The culture allowed it. And often in Scripture, there are times where the culture says something's okay, and the people of God unfortunately go along with culture. God never affirms of it, but he allows it just as he allows us today grace. Does that make sense? I want to make sure we're clear on this. God never said this was okay. God's plan from the beginning. What was the plan in Genesis chapter 2? One man, one woman. You leave your father and mother, you cleave unto your wife, and you become one flesh. Here, Abraham and Sarai are doing what's culturally acceptable, but not okay with God. And again, now we're getting into another area of struggle, right? We start letting the culture and society dictate to us. We choose the normal in our world around us, then stepping up by faith and saying, maybe God is something better. So Sarah suggests this plan. Well, I have this handmaiden who is basically kind of like a subject, a servant. And she has to do whatever Sarah says. And Sarah says, this is my plan. This way she will get pregnant. She will have children. We will have what God has promised us and we'll be in control. Verse 3. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. Listen to this now. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress, Sarah, was despised in her eyes. She's saying Sarah despised Hagar because she conceived. Think about that for a moment. The plan worked, right? What she wanted to happen, happened. But almost instantly she realized this isn't right. Control gone crazy. This might not seem like a big deal to us, but let's finish the story because the results of this control freak moment by Abram and Sarah are still being felt today. Hagar had a son, Ishmael. Sarah had a son, Isaac, the son of promise. You notice too in the passage in Genesis 16, if you look at verse 2, who does Sarah blame for not having any children? It says, the Lord has restrained me from having any children. Who promised her she'd have a son? Or promised Abram, rather, that he would be the father of many nations, many children? God did. But because Sarah couldn't understand it because of her age and where she was in life, she says, well, Lord, you must not be willing to give me a child. So I have to take control. And do you see how doubt and and just confusion, not your understanding... I don't get it, God, so I have to make this work in my mind. I'm going to take control. So we have Hagar has a son named Ishmael. Sarah has a son named Isaac. From the lineage of Ishmael, you have the Palestinian people. From Isaac, you have the Jewish people. From the line of Ishmael, you have the prophet Muhammad. And from the line of Isaac, you have Christ, the Son of God. To this day, we see the tensions between the Jews and Palestinians, as well as the choice to follow Christ or Muhammad. 
Do you see how a control freak moment that seems like the best solution we can come up with may cause more damage than we're ever willing to endure? And it all started because rather than trust the promise of God, I have to control, I have to understand. You see, Abraham and Sarah, as their names will soon become Abraham and Sarah, when they do finally have Isaac, and God blesses them, and they are great leaders for God's people. You see, the amazing thing is, when they messed up, God could still use them. Can you just say praise the Lord for that? You ever take control, you knew it was the wrong thing to do, you did it anyway, you found the results a little bit more than you wanted to endure, but you're still thankful that God is still with you in his grace on the other side of that decision? But man, wouldn't we be more blessed, more benefited, if rather than taking control, we just said, God, I'm just going to surrender to you. I'm going to trust you in this, even though it doesn't make sense. But see, every time God calls you to something, there will always be a plan B option. And that's what Abraham and Sarah did. They took the plan B method. The plan B method. In your notes there, letter B, the plan B method. We are all tempted to take control when things don't go like we thought instead of surrendering to the Lord and trusting him. And when we are tempted, there will always be a plan B option presented. Sarah and Abraham saw the plan B as the better way. Ultimately, we are telling God that we know better and we know how to meet our needs better. Maybe it's someone at work that you delegate something to, not doing it right, so you just take over. Your finances, you know God's word says to give what the Lord has purposed in your heart joyfully, but you take control and decide since it doesn't make sense financially to give, you're not giving. Maybe you struggle with being a helicopter parent. Now, I don't know if you've heard that term before. Have you guys ever heard of a helicopter parent? Helicopter parent, anyone? You know what a helicopter parent is? We just kind of hover kind of come in and we hover over our children and we watch them. It's like, hey, can you go get the mail from the mailbox? But be sure to put on your helmet and your knee pads. Okay, look, be careful. Wait, nope, nope, don't go too fast. Slow down. Okay, we helicopter. We want to control every aspect of them. Well, now what are you doing? Well, what are you doing over here? Well, what did you do that for? Well, why are you doing this? And we kind of freak them out. And they're like, mom, dad, back up. Chill out. Okay. Can I tell you something? I can tell you what it's like to be a helicopter parent because I am one. There's often, I have to tell myself, chill, out, back, off. Now, some of you are kind of like, how do you want to describe this? I'd call you like a park bench parent. This is the two ends of the spectrum, okay? Neither's good, okay? Helicopter parent. What are you doing? How's it going? Where are you doing? Where are you going there? Hey, you okay? Did you fall down? Did you scrape your knee? Here, let me get a band-aid for you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Give me a hug. I love you. I'm not a helicopter parent that way. Okay, I'm not like mushy-feely like that way. I don't like hug all over my kids. I mean, I do hug my kids unless they come out at like 1030 at night and it's like the 15th time and they're like, I need water and my back itches and my pajamas itch and I heard a noise and, 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 and I want a hug. And you're like, if you don't leave, I'm going to remove you from the home. Like, you're just going to live outside. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. Okay, so I'm not that way. Some of you are helicopter parents because you're all invested, like you're there every second trying to control every single thing. The other end of the spectrum is what I call a park bench parent. This is where you just kind of sit back and like, ah, they're fine. They'll get figured out. You just wake them up in the morning, hey, hope you have a great day today. I'll see you at 5.30 for dinner. You know, you just kind of go on. And they're like seven. And they're like, I don't even know how to, what, what's going on here, Okay. 
You're just kind of observant. Like, you know, you're like, uh-huh, that's cool. Tweet me. I'll check it out on there. Or text me if you have a need, okay? Neither one of those is good. We shouldn't be so disconnected we're not involved, but we can't be so involved we're controlling. Does that make sense? I mean, some of us, and listen, I'm not picking on the moms, but some moms battle with this. It's like you're always trying to, like, I just want to hug you. I just love you so much. And they're, like, 16, right? And they're like, Mom, seriously? Like, all my friends are here. This is kind of awkward, okay? Like, you take them to prom, okay? Like, I'll be here waiting for you. You look so cute. Okay? Actually, what am I? They don't do it anymore. It's more like this, right? Okay? You know, I, I, was, I heard this story, and I, I couldn't believe it, that recently a study was done. And something like, I want to say it was like 8%, 8, I think it was 8 or 12% of people right now, like in their 20s, like that are going to job interviews, 8% of them bring their parent, one of their parents with them. Like, think about that for a moment. You go to a job interview and you got mom in the car. I got your lunch. You're so good. I believe in you. Okay. Uh-uh. I'll be here after. Okay, listen. Just a word of advice. Anyone's younger here today, we got some younger teenagers here. If you get a job interview, a callback, and you show up with your mom, you're probably not going to get that job. Okay, I'm just going to, just probably just don't even tell your mom, just wait for me at home. Okay. Now, this is the point, though. We can do this so easily as parents. But as people, we struggle with this. I mean, we have to learn to kind of step back and not buy into the plan B method and just take control because taking control may be easier. Did you hear what I just said there? We got to step back and stop always taking control just because taking control seems easier. It seems like the quicker fix to get what we want. On your insert, I gave you a place to respond to the question of name what you are trying to control. I want you to do that real quick. Name what you are trying to control. Take a moment and answer that question. Is it a person? Is it a circumstance? Are you trying to control your kids, your grown kids, your grandkids? Are you going to your kids who have kids and saying, now you know, if I was you. And that's a, no parent ever wants to hear somebody, another parent say, well, if I was you. That's like, if, as a parent, when I hear that, I'm just like, Merp. not listening. No, not really. But we don't like that. You don't like that. Okay? But with great intentions, sometimes we can kind of hover a little too long trying to control. How about your spouse? You trying to control your spouse? And I'm not talking about the silly little things. I'm talking about the big things. Are you trying to control your spouse? Are you trying to make your spouse what you want them to be? Are you trying to force this control so that you get the result you want? Force these things to take place. What are you trying to control? If you're honest, everyone in this room either wrote something down or at least thought of something that they know they're trying to control. Maybe you're trying to control your own life apart from Christ. And I just ask you, how are you doing on that? And I say, oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, doing eternally on that? The point is, we can't control these things. We can't make everything better with control. But I want to give you some tools this morning. 
I know we're kind of running short on time, but I want to give you three questions. Three questions that will help you choose surrender over control. Three simple questions help you choose surrender over control. The first question you have to ask when you're debating about surrender or control, is it worth my concern? Is it worth my concern? Basically, we need to decide if whatever it is, is worth me getting worked up about. We have, a to- a, we have to have a tolerance to let some things go that are not the way I would do it. Example, is it really worth getting all freaked out about the towels that aren't folded right? No. <laughs> That's an easy one. I mean, let's think about this right now. Five years from now, is anyone going to care about the towels? No. Will it matter? No. Will it matter how the toilet paper went on the roll? Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Probably 10 years, maybe not so much, okay? Because, I don't know, it would be in the future and they won't even be using it by then on some other technological advancement that we don't need it anymore or something. I don't know. Okay? But listen, here's the point. Is it worth my concern? Is it worth me spending time investing in this? Is it worth me getting emotionally involved and worked up over this? Or is it at the end of the day just something small and silly that really doesn't matter in the scheme of life? When you walk into my house where we live now, when you you come into the kitchen, great design by the way, floor design, perfect. I love people walking into my kitchen because what's the number one room you try to have like all the dishes in the kitchen, right? Love that. People walk in my house, oh look, dirty dishes. Way to go, okay? Just, hey, by the way, we have dirty dishes in my house. I don't know if you do. Maybe you have dirty dishes in your house that you don't keep cleaned all the time. Okay, that's me, okay? It just, listen, we're not perfect, by the way. Um, you walk into our kitchen, and right to the left of the door, there's this, like, shoe shelf cubby kind of thing. And so all the shoes go on the little shelves. Shoes, shelves. Plenty of room for all shoes, shelves. You with me so far? Where do their shoes go? On the? Okay. You're farther along than my 8-year-old and my 10-year-old are, okay? Just throwing that out there. You walk in the house. When you walk in and you step forward, there's a little black rug in front of the shelf where the shoes go, okay? And I don't know why. The shoes are on the rug. They're even together on the rug. But they're not on the shelf. And so when I walk in, guess what I kick with my feet? The shoes that are not on the... Okay, so you guys are with me. Good. That sounds like the most ridiculous thing, right? You're like, oh, who cares? That's so... I have a tendency to get a little worked up about the shoes not being on the shelf. What's go- I mean, what's the, pro- what's the breakdown here? How can the shoes not get on the shelf? You got it this far? Like, I just... It's not... I mean, look, I'm not an engineer, okay? Look, it's... Simple. Done. But you know what? Something dawned on me a while ago. Because I don't get as freaked out about the shoes as I used to. Okay? Now, I'll be honest with you. There's a moment of weakness sometimes when I come in and I kick the shoes. I'm like, really? And then I got to stop and go, man, is it really worth my concern right now? It's on the rug. They're neat on the rug. They're they're there. Is it really a big deal that my 8-year-old, in an excitement to go do something else, just left his shoes on the rug instead of putting them on the shelf? No. Now, Will I maybe say to them, hey, can you do me a favor next time put the shoes on the shelf? Done and over with, right? I'm not getting freaked out and worked up and losing my cool. Okay? 
But something dawned on me one time when I was coming in the house. I thought, man, you know what? There's going to come a point in time where I'm going to open the door and there will be no shoes on the floor because they've moved on. They've moved out. They're on living their life. And it dawned on me, like, man, why am I getting so freaked out about the shoes not on the shelf rather than investing the kids that are in my home? spending time with them. Now, again, I'm not saying we have no rules or, or uh, you know, expectations of our kids. We do. We ask them to do these things. We want them to learn discipline and, and, you know, habits of cleanliness and all these things. That's fine. But when we get freaked out about it because we can't control it, man, we just got to step back and go, man, is this worth my concern? In the big picture, is this really going to matter that much that I get freaked out about it? So is it worth my concern? Second question we ask ourselves, is it mine to control? Is it mine to control? Now, this is really important because sometimes the answer may be what? Yes. Sometimes the answer may be yes. Surrendering control doesn't mean relinquishing responsibility. I want you to hear me on this. Surrendering control does not mean relinquishing responsibility. I had someone in my life tell me on this, and it's kind of straightforward, but I like it. God gave you his word and a brain. Use them. God gave you his word and a brain, use them. If you're having financial difficulties, you don't sit back and say, okay, God, fix it and do nothing. You do what you can do and you trust God with the rest. Marriage troubles. You don't look at your spouse and say, I'm going to control you and fix you and make you better. You maybe start looking in the mirror at yourself. You take control of what's yours to control, your heart. God, fix me, change me. I'm going to surrender my mind and heart to you because that's what I can control. That's what I'm called to control. I'm called to control this by your grace to yield my members to righteousness and not sin, to dwell on your word, to pray, to seek you with all of me and to love my neighbor as myself. God, I'm going to do those things because you've called me to those things. So is it mine to control? If you have a marriage problems, stop trying to control your spouse and just focus on you for a little bit and say, God, would you change me that I could be a loving, encouraging example to my spouse? Now, let me stop right here and say this. If you have a spouse that is making bad decisions, meaning unhealthy spiritually or physically, addiction, behavioral problems that are causing actual hurt to you and your family, this is in no way saying you sit back and go, well, I guess I'm just supposed to take it. I guess I'll just pray for them. Now you pray for them, but you stand up to it too. I'm not, this isn't doormat theology. If you're being taken advantage of or hurt in some way, it's unhealthy, man, you stand up and you let that person know in a loving Christ-like way, look, this is wrong behavior. That's not a controlling thing. That's a, hey, I love you so much, I want you to know what's going on here. On Tuesday nights, we talk about the tough love method. There's a point where you got to say, look, man, you don't see what you're doing, but this is hurting you and it's hurting our family and I want you to know this. And I am praying for you. But we got to be so balanced here because we go one of two ways. We either try to control everything and we end up enabling them or we play the doormat and they still end up doing what they want. So we got to be balanced. We focus on me. We control what's ours to control. We look into our heart. We ask God to change us and we trust God with the rest. So is it yours to control? If the answer is yes, you do what God's word has led you to do by the principles we see here and you live for his glory. If it's not yours to control, is it worth my concern? And if it isn't worth your concern, and it's not yours to control, then maybe the third thing we need to realize is ask ourselves, is it for God alone? 
Is it for God alone? You see, there are areas or circumstances that aren't for us to control but to give over to the Lord. I love Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7. Philippians 4 and verse 6 and 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Did you catch that? The peace of God, which passes all, transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We don't need to be anxious or worry when we surrender it to the Lord. Now that is tough for us, especially in our culture today. Because we all battle in the area of worry and fear of what we can't control. But prayer is not the least we can do, but the most we can do by giving it to the Lord and doing what we can and trusting him with the difference. This will guard our hearts and minds from worry. But man, isn't that tough to not give in to worry and fear when you can't control something or you can't fix it? You just, man, you just freak out because you're just like, I want it to be better. I want this to be different. And you realize, man, I just, I can't, I can't control. It's not mine to control. It's not for me to control it. And I'm doing all I can do by the grace of God to focus on his word and to focus on my relationship with him and let him use me to make a difference. And so, God, I just have to surrender it to you because I have no other option. It's either worry and fear and frets and give in to that or surrender it and walk in his peace. Isn't it amazing that he says his peace is present when we surrender? And there's worry on one side, but then there's his peace. And I'd much rather live in peace and then instead of worry and fear. I saw a quote this week that I loved that jumped out to me. It's from Tony Evans. He said this, Worry is interest paid on trouble before it's due. Did you catch that? Worry is interest paid on trouble before it's due. So I have to ask you, where are you right now? Are you living in worry and fear because you can't control something that you're trying to control that isn't yours to control? Or are you walking in the surrender and trusting him and saying, God, it's only for you. It's only for you. Help me to do what I can do with what I can control, what I should be controlling, but help me to trust you what I, what I can't control. As we consider these three questions in this area of surrender and control, I want to ask you to get real with yourself, to get practical with three more basic questions. What are you trying to control? How can you surrender this to God? And what's your step this week? What's your practical step of how you're going to give this over to him this week? How you answer these questions will have a direct impact on the amount of peace you have this week in your life. Because when you give it to him, he will grant you a peace that passes all understanding. For those of us who try to control, may we realize that it is, or ask ourselves, is it worth my concern? Is it mine to control? If so... May we do all that we can by his grace. But if not, may we surrender it to him and believe he is able. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer as we close our service in a word of invitation and time of invitation? And I want to ask you this as you bow your heads right there where you are. As you begin to pray there about whatever God is speaking to you on and however God is leading you, I just want to ask you, do you know Christ is your Savior? If you're sitting there today and you're in that chair and you're saying, you know what, I don't know Christ as my Savior, then let me encourage you with the Word of God that says that He loves you so much. He loves you so much that He is calling you to surrender, complete control to Him in salvation. Do you know when we surrender to Him, when we receive Him as our Savior, 
we're ultimately giving control of our eternity over to him. We're saying, God, in your word, it says that if I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, believe that you were buried in a borrowed tomb, and believe that you rose again on the third day, that if I believe those things and I trust in you and in the, the reality of your word, surrendering my life to you, giving everything to you, that you will save me. And the Bible says that when you make that choice, when you choose to accept him as your savior because he gave himself for you and receive his grace for yourself, that you are giving over complete control of where you're going to spend eternity after you die. That you are stepping out by faith and saying, I believe that when I leave this world, my next breath will be with him in his heaven, not separated from him in a place called hell because I've received his salvation. I've received the forgiveness of my sins. And yet so many believers, myself included, we trust him with our eternity, but we try to control today. And we struggle trusting him with today and in circumstances we don't understand. And my word of encouragement to you is, if you've trusted him with your eternity, you can trust him with today. You can trust him with what's going on around you right now. And you can, listen, take control of the things that yours to control. And his word has given us some great principles and some truths that we need to live by, by his grace. As the Holy Spirit opens our minds to them, we live in that. We embrace those desired outcomes in our life that he gives us. And we, we want that. We hunger for that. But when it's not yours to control, when it's someone else or something else, and you realize it is just for him alone, then I encourage you to trust today. So if you know Christ is your Savior, if you've trusted him with your eternity, would you trust him with that circumstance that you wrote down? Trust him with that person, that situation? Maybe you'd come this morning and bend a knee and say, God, I'm laying it here. I'm giving it to you. I'm not going to control it anymore. It's yours. It's for you alone. Help me to do what I can do, but I'm going to trust you to do what you can do. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. Then right there in your seats, you can in your heart just say, God, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I pray you'd forgive me my sins. And I pray that I would live for you. Whatever it is that God is doing, I just want you to respond to him today as we pray. Father, would you work through this time of invitation? We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Maybe you want to come and lay that burden down that you've been trying to control. You know it's for him alone. Come on, just move. Don't worry about anyone else. Don't think about anyone else. You just come. Lay that down. I can't control it, God. It's for you alone. I don't want worry anymore. I want your peace in my life. Maybe you'd come and make that decision today as you surrender to him and follow his lead.